0: Good. Welcome back to Black and Published, a podcast for writers, poets, playwrights, and storytellers of all kinds. I'm your host, Nikisha Elise Williams, an award winning author, two time Emmy Award winning producer, publisher, all that good stuff. Now, I know National Poetry Month is over, but hey, the poets were like, we got something to say. So today, we're talking with Carla M. Cherry author of Stardust and Skin. Carla M. Cherry is a native of the Bronx, New York, a graduate of Spelman College, New York University, and Lehman College. Right now, she is an MFA candidate in creative writing at the City College of New York. Carla has been teaching in the New York City Public Schools since 1996. Her poetry has appeared in various publications, including Anderbo, Unoya Review, Dissident Voice, Random Sample Review, Anti-Heroine Chic, The Racket, and Raising Mothers. She self-published four books of poetry through Wasteland Press, starting with 2008's Nat Feathers and Butterfly Wings. She released two collections in 2017, $30 in a Bowl of Soup and Honeysuckle Me. And in 2018, she self-published These Pearls Are Real. Her fifth and latest book, Stardust and Skin, was published by Two-Eye Publishing in November 2020. And new editions of her self-published works are forthcoming from Two-Eye Publishing. In this conversation, Carla and I discuss the challenges of self-publishing, creating safe spaces in the classroom to be vulnerable through poetry, and the curriculum Carla is currently developing to help young girls of color give voice to their insecurities and elevate their self-esteem. Black and published family, let's welcome Carla to the show. So, Carla, thank you for joining me on Black and Published today. Um, I always want like to start the interview off by asking this question. When did you know that you were a writer?
1: Ooh, wow. Um, I think I realized I was a writer when I was about seven or eight years old. Um, I always tell the story. My father used to take me to the Black Liberation bookstore in Harlem when I was growing up. And um, one particular Saturday, I came across Nikki Giovanni's book, Ego Tripping. And so um, my father bought the book for me and I read that poem, Ego Tripping. And I fell in love with Nikki Giovanni and her poetry. And I started to write my own poems. I would try to imitate her style. My mother had an old typewriter that she let me use and I uh, tried to write a novel on it. I think from that point, I knew I wanted to be a writer.
0: So what was the process of going from admiring Nikki Giovanni's ego tripping to you establishing yourself as a writer in your own right?
1: Okay. Um, well, I would write poems from time to time when I was in high school um, and college, but I never really did anything with them. Once in a while I might submit them to, you know, like a school anthology for class or something but um, it wasn't until my father passed away in 2005 that I really decided to take my writing very seriously. Um, when I was at my father's wake, I was talking to my cousin and her name is Alice Witt. And she came out with her own book of poetry called Up Close and Personal. She gave me a copy and I was looking at it. And I was like, wow, you know, she published her poetry. This is really cool. And I was like, you know, maybe I ought to try to do something with my poetry. So I started going through old notebooks, gathering up poems, and um, I decided to start submitting them for publication. So um, my poem, Niece was published in 2006 by Anderbo. It's an online magazine. And from there, I started sending my poems out for publication and decided to self-publish my first book in
0: 2008. OK. And so. What was your experience like self-publishing in 2008? Because that's right, I guess, at the beginning of the self-publishing wave. That's kind of like crazy right now.
1: Yeah, it was a little intimidating because as a self-publisher, you have to figure out, all right, what's the best platform? Um, Which company should I use? Because a number of them are very expensive and you're never sure about the quality of work. And so I had to do some research and look for different companies and see which one had the most reasonable price and which had the best services. And so I found Wasteland Press. And I was really happy with the work that they did on helping me design the cover, formatting the book for me, because that's not my particular skill set. And so um, it was really challenging. And it's also very scary because once you put out the book, it's like, okay, well, it's not like people are just going to run to buy it. You have to get the word out. And so um, it was a little intimidating trying to figure out, all right, how can I best market my work? And so it was a matter of finding um, in-person events where I could go, maybe set up a table, sell my book. And so I started looking for opportunities to do that. So it was a little scary um, self-publishing because, you know, putting together the writing is one thing, but then the marketing is the next step. And it's a step that you have less control over. Yes, you can put yourself out there, but you never know what the response is going to be. So yeah, that was a really challenging part of the process.
0: With Wasteland Press, would you consider that a self-publisher or just like an indie publisher?
1: Well, it's really considered self-publishing. And so um, I decided to start looking for a publisher, like a, I guess, a small press or a publisher that could um uh, publish my work for me. So when I was putting my latest book together, Stardust and Skin, I was like, all right, I'm gonna see if I can find a small publishing company that's going to publish my work for me. And so um I was in this poetry group called Poetics U on Instagram. And the president of Poetics U is Tony Langhorn and he started this uh, publishing company, Two I Publishing, and he said that he was looking for writers. And so I decided to submit my manuscript to him and I took it from
0: there what all have you had to invest when it comes to getting your workout since you've been doing this since 2008? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Well, the biggest investment, of course, is time. Spending a lot of time um, really making sure that my writing was tight, that I was telling a compelling story in my poetry, that I was uh, including imagery, and that People could relate to my work. And so I've tried to invest most of my time with developing my craft, because mm. to me, I think that's the most important part because you can put something out. But if it's not quality, it's not going to last. So that's been the most important part. I think the investment of time in my writing.
0: And you are an educator, correct? I, am. I what, am.
1: What grade do you teach? Well, I teach in a transfer school. That means our population is um, overage and undercredited. A lot of them struggled in their uh, original high schools, and they're coming to us to get a second chance to pass their classes and earn their their region's diplomas. And so um, that's been an interesting journey, actually. Um, Our students are not graded by uh, traditional grades. It depends on what classes they need. But um, in general, I've taught the upper level English courses. So that would be the equivalent of 11th and 12th grade.
0: And so how does your work as an educator teaching English, 11th and 12th grade English to these, I guess, adults really um, Mm. inform your work as a poet?
1: Mm. Well, my students have found their way into my poetry, in an, uh, a number of instances. Uh, for example, one of the poems that I put in my first book, Nat Feathers and Butterfly Wings, is a poem called Still. It's a poem about colorism. Um, on an open school night uh, one time, I was talking to the student's mother and she had told me the story about how this girl's uncle had said that her daughter was uh, cute, even though she was dark-skinned. And I was just so shocked that he would say something like that that I sat down and wrote a poem about it. Um, I've had a number of students um, that have had certain experiences that inspired me to write poetry. I had one student that was the victim of domestic violence, and I wrote about that. Um, I've had students who have experienced sexual assault, and I've written about that. So when my students work their way into my work, I try to talk about the issues that they're experiencing to try to um, raise awareness about it.
0: And so in in a sense, your work reflects the lives of your students and their beauty and their resilience? It does. And when I'm teaching,
1: I try to give students opportunities to write their own poetry, even though a lot of them say that they don't like writing poetry. I think they get intimidated by it because, you know, usually in school we we have them analyze things to death. And so, you know, sometimes it kind of turns them off to the poetry. They don't think that they can do it. And I say, listen, the poems don't have to rhyme. You know, you can do free verse. And I try to give them... Um, I guess a variety of poems to to read. I give them Audre Lorde, Maya Angelou, of course, um, Theodore Rethke. So I try to give them a range of poems to look at that they can use as mentor texts when they're writing their own poetry. So the next step for me is to allow myself to be vulnerable vulnerable enough to share my own poetry with them.
0: And what space does that put you in when you finally do that with your students?
1: Uh, Yeah, like I was saying, it's a pretty vulnerable space because I'm putting my 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 heart and my soul on a page. And I have students who are very curious about my life. They're always asking me very personal questions. And I try to keep a bit of a professional professional distance. So um, by sharing my writing with them, this is going to put me in a space where I'm sharing something personal and having an atmosphere of of trust. So not only are they safe to say what they need to say about their lives in my classroom, but also me being safe enough to share some things about myself in the classroom and just, you know, having that trust that, you know, what you share with me, I won't share with others and I ask the same of you. And so that's a very, it can be a very uncomfortable space for a teacher, but I'm willing to take the risk if it will help my students to open up.
0: So how do you un- confront that uncomfortable space when it comes to you and the page and the written mm-hmm. word? Right, with, in, in terms of my students? No, in terms of your work. I mean, oh, I see. you've created this space with your students, mm-hmm. but it's also a space you've created with your books and you're putting yourself out there and and bearing your soul on the page in hopes that the audience is protective of it in a way. So how mm-hmm. do you confront that discomfort when you confront the blank page?
1: Well, very often when there are things that I decide to share for my life, um, I've had the conversation with myself, okay, how comfortable do I feel sharing this truth? And if it's something that I think will help other people and it doesn't hurt people in my life that I love, then I'll go ahead and share it. But, you know, of course, as a writer, you don't want to share every single thing. You do need to keep some things to yourself. But if there are stories from my life that other people can relate to and it'll help them, then I
0: take the risk. And in taking those risks, what lessons have you learned? Um, One of the biggest
1: ones is that very often we can feel like we're alone in the world when we're going through something and we're really not So many people, when they've read things, they were like, oh, this poem took me back to when I was a kid. Oh, I went through this. Um, I can relate to what you were saying. And so um, that makes taking the risk really worthwhile when people are able to connect to what you're saying. And even if they can't connect because they haven't gone through it, it allows them to empathize and just uh, see things from a different lens.
0: Okay, so this collection um, is called Stardust and Skin. And it came out in November from 2Y Publishing. What can readers and lovers of poetry expect when they get their hands on this collection?
1: Okay. Well, what what I say in the book is that it's about a journey that I took with a group of women. Um, There's a Bronx-based poet named Peggy robles Alvarado, And in 2019, she put out a call on Facebook looking for a small group of women of color to come together and talk about a physical insecurity that they've been dealing with so that we could come together, do healing exercises and address that particular insecurity. And my insecurity had always been my skin. And so I decided to join this project and we were each supposed to um, not only do these healing exercises and participate in a photo shoot, but do a piece of writing. And so I wrote a poem and then I kept writing more poems as we were going to the workshops. And next thing I knew, I had a book. And so I really talk about the insecurities I had with my skin, starting from childhood and through me becoming a, a mature woman and just kind of digging deep and figuring out where did this insecurity come from and then showing how I healed from it.
0: So would you do us the honor of reading from Stardust and Skin? I'll give the book description and let you take it from there. Okay, sure. So Stardust and Skin, supported by the artwork of Tony Langhorn, is about the journey from insecurity to self-love and acceptance with other women of color and poets Peggy Robles Alvarado's More Than Just Project.
1: Okay, so this poem called Lost, um, I'll go ahead and share that one. Mama said I was walking at six months and talking at nine months because I always knew I had places to go and much to say. Learned to read at two, careened down hills on my big wheels, waved my arms and hooted like an owl when my teachers wanted answers. Wrote poems and asked if I could recite them in front of the class. Let my hair out and flung it while I danced in front of mirrors. Told the boy that called my sister a nigger that we were black and damn proud of it. Called myself a lady, see when I thought I could rap. Didn't let scraped knees and bottom bouncing falls off my skateboard keep me from learning how to pop a wheelie. I had a rod of confidence tucked in my back pocket every day as bigger egos with taller bodies, stronger fists, surrounded me, shouted me down, had throngs that we used to call back. Fearing black eyes and torn out hair, I started slouching and mumbling, my eyes fixed on the ground. Mm. Is there another that you'd like to share? Sure. Okay. All right, so this one is called Sap. Thwap. Kia had pulled and snapped my bra strap one too many times. The invisible dams I built in my eyes threatened to burst. No one was coming to rescue me from the lunchroom. Then three more hours of sitting at a desk in front of Kia, so I had to save myself. I can't breathe, I gasped at one of the school aides. She took me to the office. I huffed cried and sniffled as I begged my mother to pick me up. You're getting germs all over my phone, the secretary snapped, handing me a tissue and alcohol to wipe down the receiver. Mother couldn't leave her desk. She called Aunt Laverne, who sent Aunt Marguerite's home health aide to pick me up. And even as my heart and breath stopped racing, I mimicked hyperventilation until I was sitting on Aunt Vern's pink sofa, wishing I was one of those girls who had a big sister, a head taller than Kia, who was a head taller than me, the second tallest girl in our fourth grade class. She would put her hands on her hips, swing her right finger in Kia's face, and press it against her forehead. You better leave my sister alone. So Kia could sit at our white lunchroom table with tears clogging her throat. If only I had a big sister to hug me and lift my chin, you better not let nobody hold your self-esteem hostage. So I wouldn't have to wait on Kia's torso to align with her arms and legs, for her mother to let out her hair from her braids and frame her pretty face, smile a hello at me when we at different schools bumped into each other on the block. And I'd wonder, If she was now one of the girls the popular boys chased to squeeze their butts, or if she, like me, was swerved around while the chased ones giggled and I pretended not to care.
0: What does it do for you to recall some of these stories from your childhood and put them on paper in these poems? I I found that
1: it's cathartic, that, you know, the, the herd that I was holding on to. I was able to start really letting it go. So um, that's been the benefit for me of of sharing these stories, because I know that it happens
0: to a lot of people. So with your your job as a full time educator, how do you see your poetry and your in your writing and your creative pursuits? Um.
1: I really would like my my work to serve as mentor text for other um, young women of color. Right now I'm putting together a curriculum guide to go with my poetry book and I'm hoping that it can be taught in schools or with girls groups and really have girls talk about self-esteem and how important it it is to them and get girls to think about how they feel about themselves and hopefully generate some poetry.
0: How do you view the I guess I don't know if it's right to say the field or the study of poetry in context with other genres of writing like novelist fiction essayist stuff like that non-fiction hmm. um, I've
1: always seen poetry as part of the literary tradition is a very necessary one and it's also well it can be very accessible um, when I teach I don't just teach novels. I also include poetry, short stories, uh, nonfiction pieces. So I really try to um, address various genres in my teaching. And I've always seen poetry as a very important part of the literary tradition. So it's always there.
0: See, now I wouldn't necessarily think that people would say poetry is accessible. Why do you think it's so accessible? Well, it can be.
1: Sometimes people write very esoteric poetry that only a certain set of people might be able to access, but I've never written that way. I always want any person, any walk of life to be able to access my poem in some way and hopefully take something from it. And so what do you want people to get out of your work? Well, for, for people who, are, who may have suffered from low self-esteem, just knowing that they're not alone, that has happened to a lot of people, that you know it is, it is possible to heal, it's necessary to heal, and just writing about it can, can help you to heal. And for people who may have high self-esteem but may at some point been a bully to somebody, just think about the, the power that your words and actions can have on other people. So I'm hoping that's what people will take away from this book.
0: And so what's next for you after Stardust and Skin?
1: Well, I'm in an MFA program at City College of New York. Congrats. Thank you very much. I'm loving that program. It's, It's amazing. And one of the things I have to do before I graduate is to do a thesis, which would be a major work. And so what I'm working on is my next book of poetry. And this one is about motherhood. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be the most challenging book that I've had to write because, you know, again, this is something that's very personal to me and it also involves members of my family, and so I have to very be very careful about how much I do share. I mean, I want to share personal things that will help other people, but I don't want it to be so personal that it's, you know, revealing things that, you know, other people may not need to know.
0: And do you think that you will also Um, self-publish or independently publish uh, this work as well? Would you, or would you look for like a a mainstream publisher after coming out of this MFA program, which is what MFAs are supposed to help you do? Right. Well, I'm hoping that uh, 2i Publishing might publish
1: it, or if not them, another small publishing house. Um, Self-publishing has been wonderful for me, um, but I really would like to have all of my books of poetry published by publishing houses from now on. Um, There are a lot of things that go into publishing books that just really are not my forte, like the formatting, as I said, design and cover art. I don't have the skill with doing end design and things like that. And so I really would like to make sure that those aspects of my work are done very uh, professionally. And also, publishing houses have a wider network and it's just easier to market your work that way. And so uh, 2i Publishing is going to republish my fourth uh, self-published titles. So I will no longer be self-published. I'm not saying I'll never self-publish again, but I think I really wanna take my work to the next level and see if I can get it published from now on by traditional publishing houses or small publishing houses.
0: All right. I want to transition into a quick speed round and then we'll go to the last question before we conclude our interview. So, Carla, what is your favorite book?
1: A Short Walk by Alice Childress.
0: Who is your favorite author?
1: Toni Morrison.
0: What is your favorite song? (laughs) <laughs> your hope oh, is like goodness. no she didn't <laughs> oh
1: my goodness you know what one of them one of my favorites is "Walk steady by aretha franklin
0: okay uh, and what is your favorite meal Ooh, my favorite
1: meal is a vegan plate of soul food collard greens mac and cheese candied yams some stuffing that's my favorite
0: but a vegan plate though?
1: Oh yes, ma'am.
0: I know you <laughs> I'm gonna take your word for it. <laughs> I know
1: you think, oh my God, that must not taste good, but you would be surprised.
0: No, I mean I've I've done the vegan thing off and on for like a fast or two, and I mean okay. I've I've made it work, but I mean I already don't eat pork or beef, so okay. I can't see giving up chicken and turkey and fish. But I'm going to take your word for it. And I'm 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 to each his own. I like my greens with some um, some smoked turkey necks in it so I can suck the marrow out. But, you know, that's just me. No, I hear you. you. (laughs) Um, Name one poet who you think doesn't get enough credit.
1: Oh, oh, man. Or more than one. Doesn't get enough credit. You know what? You stumped me on that one. I I don't know. I would really have to think about that one.
0: Name a poet, living or dead, that you'd like to collab with or be in conversation with either um, with your work or in person.
1: Wow. Sonia Sanchez. I would love to collaborate with Sonia Sanchez and just sit down and just talk to her.
0: What's the difference between spoken word and poetry? Because I feel like the two are often mm-hmm. confused. Mm. I wouldn't
1: say there's a difference between them, but the spoken word has more of a performance element. Um, I can I can put my poems on the page when it comes to performing live. Um, that's not my strong suit. I can memorize my poetry, but for example, um, a girlfriend of mine and I, we went to the New Poets Cafe in New York City, and we had a showcase and I had worked to memorize. um, I think I memorized five out of my seven poems that I performed. I hit that stage, and every word that I memorized flew out of my head. I was like, "Oh my God, I don't remember anything. <laughs> and I had to perform the poems from the book. and it came off beautifully, like I had music in the background, and it was cool, but you know, I just get straight stage frights too badly, and it's just hard for me to perform. Like some people can memorize their poems and they are not just saying the words, but they're they're living out the poem through their bodies. And you know, spoken word artists are very good at that, and not everyone has that skill set.
0: Who is your favorite hip hop rap MC? So I know you live in the Bronx, so I gotta ask. BX. Um, <laughs> I would
1: say my favorite Most deaf. Yes. <laughs>
0: yes now he doesn't get enough credit yeah Mm -hmm. all right and my final question for the speed round if you were a color what color would you be and why Mm.
1: my favorite color has always been green it's such a beautiful color um it's connected Mm -hmm. to nature and so if I had to be a color that would be the color that I would I would be that I would embody
0: so my final question for the interview, I always like to end this way. Okay. Um, you have dedicated your life to writing the craft of poetry and teaching people to express themselves in the English language. When you're dead and gone, what would you like someone to write about you and your legacy?
1: Mm. Wow. I would want someone to say that I tried to take my love of literature and pass it on to the next generation.
0: Thank you, Carla, for
1: being here. That was beautiful. Nikisha, thank you for this opportunity. This has been
0: great. You are so, so welcome. Big shout out to Carla Cherry for being here on Black & Published today. Make sure you check out Carla's latest poetry collection, Stardust & Skin, out right now, available from 2i Publishing. And if you're not following Carla, follow her on the socials. She's at Carla underscore Bronx Poet on Twitter and black 18 on Instagram. That's BlackButterfy 18 on Instagram. That's B-L-A-C-K-B-U-T-T-E-R-F-Y-18 on Instagram, Black Butterfly. That's our show for the week. If you like this episode and want more black and published, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. While you're there, please leave us a rating, a review, a comment. Let us know who you'd like to hear on the show next. You can also follow Black & Published at Black & Published on Twitter and Instagram. That's B-L-K & Published, Black & Published on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to keep up with me, you can head to my website, newrights.com, N-E-W-W-R-I-T-E-S.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Nikisha underscore Elise. That's our show. I'll holler at y'all next week. Peace.